Now, before we get to uh, Peter's advice, um, I just want to share a couple uh, insights from Sam Chan from his book because I thought it was quite perceptive. But I think most of us understand that evangelism is better when it begins with kindness, friendship, casual conversations over coffee with our non-believing friends rather than launching into some debate about the existence of God. I think think most of us would agree with that, right? So Sam Chan speaks about an observation that an old dead philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant and his observations about reality and knowledge and is still relevant today. So he basically he divided what we know into the realm in the realm of knowledge into two categories. So let me just give this to you. Now don't let these philosophical deep words throw you off. You you'll come to understand. It's, it's always good to new, you know, learn new words, okay? So first of all, the first category on the left is the noumenal, okay? Noumenal is the realm of God and ethics and values and it contains such statements as there is a God, or gambling is wrong, or capitalism is better than socialism. Okay? Then you move over to the right side, he calls it the phenomenal. And in the phenomenal realm, it's the realm of facts, evidence, data. And it contains statements such as one plus one equals. My goodness, two. Did you feel grade one? All right. The sky is blue, sort of, today. It is blue when you look through the clouds, right? Water boils at 100 degrees Celsius, okay? So Immanuel Kant's point is that in the noumenal round, we can't really verify that there is a God easily or that capitalism is better than socialism. You can have great debates about these subjects. But in the phenomenal realm, you can easily verify that 1 plus 1 equals 2 and that boil, you know, water boils at 100 degrees Celsius, right? So there's, it's really not for up for debate because it's just what it is, right? What it is. So what if you begin your conversations with a non-believing friend in the noumenal realm right off the bat, Right? This will easily lead to what? Tension, disagreements, arguments. People often don't agree because no one can really categorically prove it is right at that very moment. When it comes to the phenomenal arguments or statements, it doesn't usually cause arguments because it's generally viewed as something as fact. Okay? So... If you go for coffee with someone, or have a conversation over the fence, or whatever, um, it's probably wise to stay on what side? Probably the phenomenal side, especially when you don't know them at all. So it's a much safer place to begin. So, you know, I could begin by saying, well, those Calgary Flames, they missed the playoffs this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll take it, I'll take it. That's fine. Right? And, and, the, and you know, I mean... Um, there's no argument, right? Because the statistics don't lie. You saw it on TV. Uh, I didn't watch it. I didn't bother. I knew they'd lose anyway. And, 
You know, and so it, the statistics don't lie. The Calgary Flames just are a lousy team this year. And if my friend were an Oilers fan, he would poke fun at me, say, yep, yep, and the Oilers made the playoffs, by the way. I can't argue with them, right? Because the stats say they got there, right? So, well, good for them. No argument. It's fact, not fiction. Or I could say, oh, it sure looks like spring out there. And everyone would go, yeah, it sure likes, it looks like spring. It's a nice day, you know. This, it's not debated because it is spring out there and it feels like spring out there. Or I could ask them, you know, um, tell me how many brothers and sisters do you have? Great conversation. Give me feedback. Two brothers, two sisters. No argument, right? All phenomenal, fact-based discussion. All safe questions. Topics that can be verified. These are all in the realm of the phenomenal. Okay, do you like these words now? Aren't they cool? Numinal, phenomenal, all right? And if we're trying to get to know someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they might already know, maybe just a bit, that mm, you're kind of a religious person, right? Or maybe they know more. You're Christian. You go to church. You might be just a tad religious. But let's remember, religious themes belong in what category? Probably the numeral, right? And your spiritual convictions aren't easily proven. It takes a bit. So the wisdom here would be remember to begin on the phenomenal side. Now another divide um, is the sacred and secular divide. And I think we understand this a bit more. But sacred statements belong in the noumenal realm. Now, in the Western world, because this is not always the case all over the world, some places in the world, sacred and uh, secular are really all melded together. But in the Western world, it's separate, okay? And sacred subjects are discussed only in private or only in a sanctuary like this. This is the safe place to talk about God and about Jesus and about faith. Okay? But as soon as we port that into a garage somewhere where the mechanics are turning the wrenches, it's not quite as comfortable to talk about stuff like that. Right? So secular statements belong to the phenomenal because they tend to be safe and can be discussed anywhere in public. Like the Calgary Flames suck. The Oilers they're doing good. See, see, I'm affirming the Oilers today. Isn't that good of me? Yeah, okay. So this is why in Canada and North America, we are told, okay, that you can, you can believe whatever you want to about religion and faith just so long as you do not push it on the rest of us, right? Is that what you hear all the time? Just as long as you keep it within the privacy of your homes or your places of worship. But no one should dare impose their religious views or faith or values on others in the public realm. Okay? So this is the way our society functions currently in Canada and North America. So in reality, Canada is a de facto closed country. Okay? Which simply means 
you're not allowed to unofficially engage in missionary or evangelical activity. Okay? So, I mean, I don't mean close in a sense like in a Muslim country where by law you're not allowed to, but in reality in Canada you're not allowed to. You understand where I'm going? Okay? So, um, that's why all of us have a hard time sharing our faith. Okay? Helps us understand why we live in this, why is it so hard, right? Why is it so difficult? What's the culture that we live in today, right? These two divides, noumenal, phenomenal, secular, and the sacred, help us understand why it's so uncomfortable talking about Jesus with our friends. And let's understand this. It's not just you. It's your non-believing friends that have a hard time talking about this stuff. And the reality is that sometimes your non-believing friends do want to talk about spiritual things. They want to talk about faith. But in their culture, in our culture, it's like, it's like you're not allowed to bring it up. Okay? So we have to see things from, from the non-believing's point of view and understand it's awkward for them and for you. And so we need God's help, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit's help to do these things. So, you know, whenever people ask me about my job, uh, I tell them I'm, and I have to do a little quick prayer, right? I tell them I'm a pastor, right? Or I'm a minister. And I always get this interesting reaction. And they go, oh, that's interesting, right? Or, oh, and then a long silence kind of follows. Why? Because I guess when you bring up the subject of pastor, it's in the realm of the sacred, right? It's in the realm of the, of the noumenal. And it makes them uncomfortable because they don't know what to say to me, right? They're kind of just stunned by it. I, mean, I remember uh, watching soccer when my uh, daughter was, I don't know, 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And I got chatting with a soccer mom who was sitting beside me. And so here came that question, you know, what do you do? What do you do? What do I do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Again, she was stunned. But then she said to me, but you look so normal. <laughs> Inside I said, thank you. But to her eyes, I dressed way too informally to be a pastor. She was expecting something else, right? I don't know, a collar, black shirt. In other words, I looked secular to her, right? Because I wore jeans and a t-shirt, right? Um, Her stereotypes were being suddenly challenged. So let's understand, you know, that if topics belong to the sacred or the noumenal realm, it doesn't just make you uncomfortable. It makes everyone feel a bit uncomfortable. So, you got that in your back pocket? Okay, armed with that, those two new cool words. I love those words. All right, so let's turn to First Peter, chapter 3, 8 to 16, and you'll begin to see why I introduced it this way. Peter talks about 
practical wisdom on living as witnesses for Jesus in a skeptical age. And so he begins with this one. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, 1 Peter 3.8. Basically, he's saying, church people, why don't you start with loving each other? He begins, actually not with Christian, non-Christian relationships, he begins with the church. He says, God's people, first of all, appreciate each other, love each other. We are a body and you need each other. And it is part of God's strategy to reach the world for Jesus. That's right. It's part of the strategy to meet the world, to seek, to help people come to Jesus. And one of the ways that makes the gospel The wonderful, unbelievable news about Jesus believable is the way Christians treat each other. Right? Be of the same mind. Have compassion. Show humility toward each other. And most of all, love one another. How do we know this? Well, from the words of Jesus. John 13, 35. This is the New Living Translation. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Essentially, he says, a follower of Jesus is someone who loves their other follower of Jesus, friends, their church people. Because if the world only hears about an angry church, the good news of Jesus will not be believable. Okay? It will not be believable if all they hear is an angry church. So evangelism begins with the way we treat each other. So let's start there. Love one another. Then he moves on. Verse 9 to 12. This is a little longer, so uh, listen well. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Then Peter quotes Psalm 34, 1 to 16, which says this, For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when people in Asia Minor became Christians in the Roman Empire, their transformation was radical. So that their neighbors began to notice that there was something different about them. But at the same time, their Roman neighbors were not pleased with their decision. So in 1 Peter 4, 4, it says, They, the pagans, non-believers, think it strange that you do not plunge, do not plunge with them into the flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. So what's going on here? 
the new Christians stop going to drunken parties. They stop sleeping around. They stop calling on their vast array of pagan gods. And when they broke away from this lifestyle of living to gratify their own flesh and turn to Jesus, people notice. And you would notice, right? What happened to George? He's not at the party anymore. Right? What's going on here? And it says people began to heap abuse on them. Right? So who do you think you are? I think you're better than us or something like that. You know? They were made fun of. And they no longer fit into the mainstream Roman Empire culture. And Christians were falsely accused and misunderstood because really what was going on is that they suddenly, through their new change of lifestyle, they were disrespecting the Roman way. That's what was going on. So this is why Peter says stuff like this. Instructs the churches, do not repay evil with evil because they were having to face major pushback, criticism. And most of us know that if you're criticized, even if you're doing right and not doing wrong, there's something that just wells up on you that wants to what? Whack them back, right? Revenge. Seek some kind of revenge or, you know, uh, say, if they insult you, you're tempted to insult them back. Or at the very least, give them the cold shoulder. We need God's help to do the opposite. Don't repay evil with evil, but evil with blessing. Even in the face of evil and misunderstanding, we must bless instead. We must do good and strive for peace and righteousness, as the psalm said, and to pray. Love them, bless them, pray for them. Is it difficult? Absolutely it's difficult. That's why we need the Holy Spirit's help. But the driving principle that Peter is trying to say here is make sure you don't take revenge in this pressure cooker world, but bless people instead. Uh, I told uh, the men in my life group this story. But a few years ago, I was uh, <clears throat> blowing uh, snow from my driveway. And so I live in a cul-de-sac. And as you know, there's, you know, there's no room to blow snow, right? So I did my best and changed the trajectory of my snowblower. So kept to my side as much as possible. Uh, impossible, but I tried my best. My neighbor looked out the window that day, and all he could see from his vantage point was this cloud of snow. And so he busted out his front door, and he started just yelling at me, accusing me of blowing snow and ice onto his property that I could have broken this or that, and I was absolutely stunned because we were actually great neighbors, right? We always got along. And uh, I thought I did enough to, you know, did enough for the snowblower to change the trajectory and be respectful and all that. 
So, um, what do you do? I turned off the snowblower, and the Lord gave me calm, thankfully. And so, as I said, I thought we were good neighbors, and I was shocked. But for whatever reason, I actually turned off the snowblower. I faced him, put my hands on both of his shoulders, like eye to eye. And I said to him, what have I ever done that you should just yell at me? Right? And then he just kind of shrugged. And he immediately, he just like, it's almost like he caught himself. That was really dumb of me, right? Kind of feeling. And then he said to me, nothing. In other words, you've done nothing bad to me. He calmed down. He walked away. I checked to see his yard to see if there was actually any snow or debris on his side. Took out the brim and, you know, there was nothing to sweep anyway, but, you know, I was just trying to do the polite thing. A minute later, he comes up to me and says, sorry for being such a beep, you know, swear word in there. And that was it. He apologized. All right? So I think what happened is um, God used my calmness, right, and just personal touch to help him calm down. Letting him know, hey, buddy, you're still my neighbor. You know, I think you're a good neighbor. I sought to keep peace, and thankfully, we continue to be good neighbors. And I think, I can't prove this, but I think that after that moment, we became better neighbors. I really do. We became better neighbors. I mean, it could have easily gone south in a hurry if I would have said something stupid. Right? It could have gone the opposite direction. Given a piece of my mind because yeah, I was upset. I was agitated. So Romans 12, 17 says, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Overcome evil with good. Next point. Fear God, not people. Do not fear them, but set apart Christ as Lord, or revere Christ as Lord. Today, we live beyond the sacred and secular divide. Society is becoming more and more antagonistic against Christianity. And so I think we have to learn to face a new reality. Remember when I began the series, I talked about 1967, uh, Canada's centennial year where the Prime Minister of Canada was reading to the country a psalm. Remember that? That's 70 years ago. We do not live in the same country. If we want it back, good luck. Okay? Let's face the new reality. New reality is our culture is growingly becoming antagonistic to the Christian faith. And that's why I like 1 Peter, because it is preparing, just as Peter was preparing that church for incredible opposition. And it happened, by the way. Okay? Major persecution came. Just as he's preparing the church back then, 
We need to do the same right now. Our culture has changed. So Peter says, when you face persecution, focus your attention on Jesus. He is your Lord. Not those who hurt you and oppose you. Easily said, hard to do sometimes. But let me just tell you a little story. Ramet, he's a 15-year-old Muslim boy. He becomes a Christian. And he grew up as a Muslim in Ethiopia. But when his family found about his, about his decision to follow Jesus, they were enraged. This is the kind of culture that he grew up in. His father said to Ramet that he had to leave the house. He had to leave the home and not come back. So you're 15 years old, right? Someone here is probably 15 years old in that category, right? That's tough. Eventually, a Christian family from a different town heard about him, took him in, and now he lives with a brand new family, a Christian family. And all Ramet is doing is praising God. It says, I praise God that I'm able to go to school and have other Christians who help me grow in my faith. And so for Ramet, following the Lordship of Christ was costly, incredibly costly. He lost his family, but he chose to fear Christ and not man. Do we have that kind of fear of God? Right? Because now we're talking family versus Jesus. Those are really, really hard. Focus on Jesus, not the fear of man. Fourthly, be hopeful witnesses for Christ. Now finally, we might arrive at a verse that is more clearly about evangelism. But let's read it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, if you look at this verse carefully, it isn't really talking about going around sharing the four spiritual laws or whatever version of our track you have about the gospel. It isn't necessarily about that. Peter is speaking about a situation in which their non-believing neighbors have taken notice and noticed something different about them and have the guts to ask, where does all this peace work? There's something different about you. Could you explain that to me, right? And thank God if that should happen, right? I mean, that's, that's, that would be wonderful because these Christians appear to be different and have hope. And hopefully, this is the way it should be. But Peter has been consistently talking about character. And about doing good to those around us. So that one day, people might praise God. Right? This is the same thing. And as was already mentioned, when we love each other... And when we refrain from losing our temper and act out in love and integrity, even when we're opposed or challenged, people take notice of these things. Why don't they lash back? 
What's different about them? Did you know your neighbors are observing you? Maybe not your literal over-the-fence neighbor, but people who know you, and they know you go to church, they're always observing you. In fact, they're trying to find contradiction in your life. You bet my neighbor is looking for that in me all the time. You know, I don't exactly have pastor written on my chest, but pretty much the same thing, because he knows, right? They want to see hypocrisy. They want to see it. So the challenge is clear. Does your life reflect the hope of Christ? Or are you simply going through the motions of your faith and religion? How potent are you? How potent are you? And are you spiritually prepared to say, this is why I'm hopeful? This is why I'm hopeful. This is what gives me joy and peace and the hope of Jesus Christ. And you're able to share it, right? Finally, your life must match your words. Peter continues. But do this. He's talking about sharing the hope now, okay? And how to do it. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In the heat of criticism, gentleness and respect will earn you the right to be heard in time. It diffuses tension and opposition. Instead of getting even or trying to win an argument, we are called to simply be gentle, show respect and humility as we are given the opportunity to share the hope that we have. People may not remember everything you say, but they will remember your attitude. They will remember how the way you treated them. So, keep a clear conscience. That means your right hand knows what your left hand's doing, right? You're living with integrity. What we say must be matched by what we do. Well, let me conclude with the story. A few weeks ago, my neighbor, you know, the same guy who lost it on me, that neighbor. But anyway, um, they came to our door, and they nervously asked if I could visit his mother, who was dying of cancer. And we thought... Interesting. My neighbor is very irreligious. But now in their grief, they have asked me to visit his dying mother. uh, Dying of cancer. Lying in hospice. And so, within minutes, I said, absolutely. And Cheryl and I just 
hug them and say, we'll pray for you. Right in our entrance, right there. So I turned around, um, went to go see the family, and uh, I met the mother. She wasn't um, aware of my presence. And I simply read a psalm. I prayed for her. And then I spent most of my time just visiting with the family. And uh, they hugged me in tears with gratitude. It was one of those God moments. The next morning, which was Sunday morning, Cheryl got a text from our neighbor saying that her husband's mom passed away that morning. And then they asked me to do the funeral, which, of course, I was only glad to do. And uh, that happened just a couple weeks ago. And honestly, I have never done a funeral where I experienced, um, what should I say, so much gratitude from the family. I felt like I was hugging people all day long, right? People saying thank you, went to their house afterwards, had coffee, donuts, and such, and grabbing my hand, um, hugging me. People I've never met before, but we're hugging like best friends, right? My relationship with my neighbor over the years moved from the phenomenal and the secular into the sacred. Permission is given now to speak about deeper things of life. Not through aggression on my part, but simply through friendship, uh, borrowing tools, asking each other for uh, advice on how to fix this and that, because he's, he's a real fixer. And now we're talking about grief, sadness, depression, and yes, even death. Why am I so sad? Even about pastoral ministry, and yes, even about God. You know, all I can say is it's a Holy Spirit driven witness, right? And God uses all these things that Peter talks about, right? To soften things and soften hearts creating space for the Spirit to just blow in, right? And we have to get out of the way. It's the Spirit that moves lives. And so I'm with you when it comes to the difficulty of being witnesses, right? It's difficult. But it ain't impossible because God is still at work. Do you believe that? God is still at work, but he wants to Use your lives. It's, it's right here in First Peter. He wants to use your good lives. And so ask God um, to show you areas of your life that you might need a little tune-up in. Okay? That's what this passage is really about. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are humbled and so privileged 
that we actually get to be your messengers of the best news in the world. And yet we admit that we find ourselves nervous, um, unsure, lacking courage to speak out this message. But as we've talked about today, maybe it doesn't start with words at all. It starts with who we are, right in this body, loving each other. And then moving out from there and the way we live in our day-to-day world, filled with the Spirit, living with Christian character, empowered by your love and your grace. And so today we just ask for your help, Lord. Forgive us for our disobedience from not obeying your command to make disciples because that's what you called us to do. But may we be wise in the way we do it. Give us the tools, give us the courage, give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to make a difference in this world for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.